0: Never know what you're going to get with those two. Uh, I'll just leave that alone. A couple of things that we have at the back. I just want to tell you about this real quick. Um, Yes, we have... uh, Something called, What on Earth Am I Here For? And we want. this is a free gift that we uh, offer to folks who are here for the first time. And uh, basically, it's just talking about our purpose in life. If you've heard of Rick Warren's uh, The Purpose Driven Life book, this is the first seven chapters of that book. Excellent read. Uh, you start off and, and, and it tells you that it's not about you. It's all about God. The life that He's given you here on this earth is not about you, and it's about what God has created you for. So those are back there. We also have some uh, some DVDs that kind of explain a little bit about our church, have some different um, scenes from different series that we've done. And uh, even though it says March 27th, 11 a.m., huge Easter egg hunt, that's what this little thing is here, you can take that off. And and hand it to them. The DVD is still relevant and it tells you uh, quite a few things about the church. So we want you guys to take those and, and hand those out. One other thing is that we are going to be moving from this building. This building has sold and we have to be out of here by the end of the month. And so we're going to have a short meeting right after church today. We have another building in mind. And if you're interested in, in going and looking at that building, then um, we'll go and tour that right after our meeting today. And we'll make a decision today about whether we're going to pursue it or not. It's downtown. Um, the board is, is in favor of it, but we want to give everybody a chance to ask questions and see it and, and just be informed of what we're looking at doing. So um, uh, just be aware of that. That's happening right after church today. Uh, so we're going to, if you've, if you've been here before, you know that we're in this Summer Blockbusters series, and uh, we're actually going to extend that a couple of weeks. Because of our move in our new building, we don't want to tear down sets and try to build new sets. So we're just going to leave this up until we're finished here in this building. So we're just going to extend Summer Blockbusters. We'd said months ago, you know, that we could do Summer Blockbusters all summer. It looks like we're going to do that now um, until we get into the new building at the end of the month. So... Anyway, well, since Wes and Matt haven't seen uh, uh, Sergeant York, let me tell you about it. Has anybody seen it? Last week I asked and there were like five people and it's the same five people who are here today who have seen that movie. Um, Great movie. And it's based on a true story. This happens in World War One. So there's not any spear throwing. um, There's not any horseback riding. Um, What happens is Alvin York grew up in the mountains of Tennessee and he is as backwoods Tennessee stereotypical person that you can think of from Tennessee. Um, didn't have a good education, so he talks, and, and you'll see uh, Gary Cooper plays the part in the movie. You'll see he talks um, uh, not very well because he hasn't been educated. These folks were so far in the backwoods that it took three to four days for the for a newspaper to arrive from one of the big cities. And it depended on you know who it was delivering it, how they came up in the mountains, and only a few people back there could read. So it, when World War II, I mean, when World War I started... Alvin York didn't have much thought about war. All Alvin York was thinking about was his own life. And he was thinking about a young lady named Gracie who lived next door to them. And he was interested in her. But, but he was, in the words of Gracie's brother, I gotta tell you this, he was a hell raising, rip snorting, no account boy. Not the type of guy that you want to hang out with your sister. Her dad didn't like him. And she, she actually said this was back in the days when, when, uh, when girls would say, you know, I like you, but until you clean your act up, I'm not even going to let you come a courtin." And so he, he began to examine his life. He was always in trouble with the law. He was always getting drunk. Well, he finally got tired of that lifestyle. And he began to contemplate the deeper meanings of life. He needed this book back in, in the ni- early 1900s. He was contemplating the emptiness that was in his life. And a traveling evangelist comes to the hills of Tennessee and, and begins to share. And after all of these years of inner turmoil, Alvin York asks God uh, to give him self control he was looking for. Here, here's part of his prayer. Or what he said, I began to pray for God to help me as a poor sinner to find some relief from my appetite for drink, for cigarettes, for tobacco, for card playing, for swearing. And I began to ask pardon from God for the sins I had committed. And he, for Christ's sake, pardoned my sins and delivered me from all the awful habits that I had. And my sins was pardoned first of January 1915. Now, not too long after that, the United States declared war. We we entered World War One. And so because of his newfound religion, um, I mean, he really got all sold out. He became a completely different person. And because of this, he had a problem with uh, the idea of war. And that's what we're going to see in this first scene. I told you would see it. I didn't say you'd hear it.
1: There we go. It's one or the other. Here we go. Of course I ain't. Is that the new seed you were going to send for? You only you get to me. 6 o'clock. I ain't a going to register. Come here. You gotta register, Alvin. I ain't gonna go a going to. I ain't gonna go on a going to war. War is killing. And the book's again killing. So war is, is again the book. You come right, Alvin. You've got the using kind of religion, not the meeting house kind, but you are got the I got, the kind you teach me. I know that. I hate to be telling you, but I don't want to see you get in no trouble. Now, you've got to register, and there ain't no way you can get out of it. You mean they can make you go to war, even if it's again? No, well, you think no, right. no, they won't make you do that. It's just what I want to tell you. Come here. Right here. Sex, whose existing creed forbids its members to participate in war are entitled to request exemption from military service. What? What's that there, exemption? Well, that means you, if you're exempted, you don't have to go. Well, how, how do we get this exemption? Well, you got to write a letter to the draft board. Well, is that all there to it? Yeah. Well, sure, I'll register. Well, will you write the letter for me? Oh, I'd be glad to have it. Come on over here. Therefore, we find that we can't consider your church a well-recognized religious sect, organized in existing May 18, 1970. We find further that it has no special creed except the Bible, which can be interpreted by its members as they choose. And finally, there's nothing in the creed of the church expressly forbidden its members to participate in war. Therefore, your application for exemption is denied. Is this here in the last word, or has he got some place to appeal? He can appeal to the district board of Nashville and finally to the general in Washington. Thanks. Thank You're welcome. I'll be right in the appeals fee, Alvin, so don't you be worried. Oh, Why are worry?
0: Well, he should have been a worrying because he begins the appeal process. And uh, they tell him the same thing all the way through the appeal process, that, that your church is not a well-organized uh, or recognized religious sect. And just because you believe the Bible and you believe the Bible says one thing, they said uh, your members can interpret it any way they choose. And so they, they turned him down. So he was having some serious problems with this idea of, of going to war. He decided to register, obviously, but then he decided that he was going to run off in the woods and he was going to hide. And, and this guy was a sharpshooter. He used to fund his partying by winning shooting contests. That's how he, he made money. They would pitch in money, have a pool. Whoever won the shooting contest would get the money. That's how he, he funded his partying lifestyle. And he said, they will be sorry if they catch me in the woods. And then it's kind of a turning point in the, in, the, in the first part of the movie. He says, he said, I forgot the Lord. I'm sorry, Pastor. That was his pastor he was talking to who also ran the general store. He said, I'm sorry, Pastor. I forgot the Lord and I won't be forgetting him ever again. So he decides to go to war, and because of this shooting skills, um, he gains the attention of his superiors, and they want him to actually be a trainer for others who are, um, who are learning how to shoot, who have not been around guns as much as he has. And so he gets a, uh, a meeting with his superior officers.
1: Private York, reportable, sir. Yes, York, that is. York, good. Captain Danforth has just handed me a report concerning you, made by your company sergeant. Yes, sir. You have a very excellent camp record. Well, well glad Yeah, that's it. A... <laughs> you applied for exemption, I believe, as a conscientious objector. Yes, sir. Well, I think we can disregard that. New York Sergeant Parsons recommends your promotion to the rank of corporal with special detail as instructor in uh, target practice. <laughs> Captain Danforth and I heartily approve. I congratulate you, York. Well, I'm much obliged to you, Major Buston and Captain Danforth. Well, I learned them fellas to shoot the best I can, like i already done, Pusher and Burke I, I mean, Private Ross and Thomas. Sir. But, well, I don't want to be no corporal. What's that? I said I don't want to be no corporal. Why not? Wait a minute, Captain. Let him talk. Well, you see, uh Is it because of your religious convictions, you? Yes, sir. That's it. You see, I, I believe in the Bible. And I'm a believing that, that this here life we're living is something the Lord done not give us. And we got to be a living it the best we can. And I'm figuring that the killing other folks ain't no part of what... He was intended for us to be a doing here. Well, yes, in a way, I agree with him. York, uh, with your permission, Major. Certainly, Captain. Sit down, you. York. You, uh, you say you believe in the Bible. Yes, sir. Well, I do, too. But do you believe that the Bible means that a man shouldn't fight for what he believes to be right? Well, it doesn't say it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Yes, I know, but uh, you remember that uh, verse, I think it's in Luke, where he says, He that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. He said that to Peter. But he doesn't stop Peter from using the sword. He said, Them that lives by the sword will be a perishing by the sword. That, uh, er, further on. Yes, I remember. Now go ahead, Captain. But according to St. John, he said, Uh, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servant fight? Well, that's just the point, Captain. He doesn't say his kingdom were not of this world, and that—that uh, that is different. Yes, but uh, just a moment. Again. York, Have you ever read this history of the United States? of Boone, first man in the valley of the Three Forks. And yeah, he was quite a man. One of the greatest. And that book's full of great men. York, what do you suppose that Boone was looking for when he went out alone into the wilderness? Well, I never thought much on it. Was he looking for new lands? Might be. Maybe. Maybe for something more. Something that man just can't see with his eyes or hold in his hands, something that some men don't even know they have until they've lost it. Yes, sir? To be free. You well, know, that's quite a word, freedom. I think that's what he wants. I think that's what sent Boone into your Tennessee country. So what to so year voice about? Yeah. That's the story of a whole people's struggle for freedom. From the very beginning until now for are still struggling it's quite a story of york how they all got together and set up a government whereby all men were placed to defend the rights of each man and each man to defend the rights of all men we call it a government of the people by the people and for the people Yes, sir. You want to worship God in your own way? Yes, You're a farmer. Yes, sir. You want to plow your fields as you see fit and raise your family according to your own likes. And that's your heritage. And mine. Every American's. But the cost of that heritage is high. Sometimes it takes all we have to preserve it. Even our lives. How are you going to answer that, Yorker? Doesn't give me a powerful lot to be thinking about. I, well, take your time. Well, if I could only, if I could only get home, back in them narrow hills, I'd oh, know like what you do. Well, I could, I could figure something out. I've done a heap of thinking up beyond that once. All right, take ten days' further. You mean I you go home. And when you get back you can't see it our way. I'll recommend your attention. You will? Report to me as soon as you get back. I'll arrange your furlough New York starting tomorrow. Thank you. Good luck. I'm sure we'd like to read it, you have book. Go ahead, take it with you. If you want to, you can borrow it. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Captain Dennis.
0: The cost of our heritage is very high. That's one of my favorite lines right there. And, and I don't know if you've heard the song that freedom isn't free. And if you look back to what this country, how we started, how we've been preserved, the cost has been extremely high. And uh, we're going to look at some of Alvin's arguments against going to war today and try to figure out what the Bible has to say and how God feels about war. And I guess a, a title that we've used before is when is it right to fight? When is it right to go to war? Alvin agonized over this choice. In his autobiography, it says that he walked around his land day and night, fasting and praying, reading his Bible, trying to figure out what he was supposed to do. And here's part of the, the, the agony. This is what he said. I loved and trusted old Uncle Sam, and I have always believed he did the right thing. But I was worried clean through. I didn't want to go out and kill. I believed in my Bible, and it distinctly said, thou shalt not kill. And yet old Uncle Sam wanted me. And he said he wanted me most awful bad. And I just didn't know what to do. I worried and worried and worried. I couldn't think of anything else. My thoughts just wouldn't stay a hitched. <laughs> I like that. I may start using that. My thoughts wouldn't stay a hitched. He was trying to reconcile his patriotism, his love of his country, with the love of his God. And, and as he found out later, um, he didn't have to compromise either one. He was able to... Uh, To reconcile those things. Now this brings up an interesting point. What does God have to say about war? This was a pretty interesting argument that he and uh, his superior officers were going through. Well, there's a a verse that I want you to look at. A couple of verses in in Ecclesiastes. I think you have it on your listening guide. Verses 1 and verse 8. Verse 1 says, There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. A time for war and a time for peace. There are times when war is the lesser of two evils. Um, the Bible is very realistic about this. It says sometimes war is the right thing. Sometimes war is the wrong thing And if you go to the whole council of the scripture, this is what I tell folks don't ever try to pull out one verse and, and Use it out of context What you need to do is you need to compare that verse with what other parts of the Bible say get multiple verses line them up and see what God is saying also know the context In which it's used. And we'll talk about that in just a second. For example, in the Old Testament, there are many times that God commanded the heroes of the Old Testament. We read about them in in Hebrews chapter 11. Heroes of the faith. God commanded them to go to war. Guys like Joshua, David, Gideon, Samson. These were all warriors. And they're commended for not only their, their faith in God, but their obedience to God when God told them to go to war. So when you look at the Bible, you find out that there were times that war was the right thing to do. Fighting was the right thing to do. But what about this argument? I've heard this. I've heard this on television. I've heard this um, uh, personally. What about his argument? Doesn't the sixth commandment say, Thou shalt not kill? No, it doesn't. The word is murder. Thou shalt not murder. Well, is killing and murder different? Sure it is. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. All killing is no more murder than all sexual intercourse is adultery. Now, that's pretty... um, (laughs) That's pretty shocking when you think about it, but it's true. Sexual intercourse was designed by God within a marriage. In a marriage, it is a good thing. And so the Bible, um, our country even recognizes that there's a difference between murder and killing. If I have to, um, if, if I am defending myself, someone breaks into my house and I'm defending my family and I shoot and I kill someone, do I go to jail for that? Am I, am I labeled a murderer? No. It's called self-defense. So our courts, um, our court system and our legal system, which was based on the principles of the Bible in the first place, says that there is a difference between murder and killing. Sometimes it is right to kill, but it's never right to murder is what the Bible is telling us. You shall not murder. There is a big difference. Well, how do we know when is the right time? Christians have been debating this idea as long as the church has been around, as long since the time of Christ. When is it right to go to war? Christians have, uh, through the centuries, have adopted one of three um, ideas about war, three positions. Activism, and activism says it is always right to go to war. Pacifism says it is never right to go to war. That's what Alvin was struggling with. And then selectivism, it is right to participate in some wars. Now, back around uh, the second, third century, uh, a lot of discussion was was um, brought up about this. And what was developed was something called the just war theory. And there's some pretty good ideas here. Now, the just war theory, you're not going to find it in Scripture. But I think you, as you listen to these points, it gives us a lot to think about and a lot to discuss about when it is appropriate to go to war and when it's not. Let's look at these seven points. First one is just cause. Just cause. War is designed for aggression against a neighbor or those designed simply to increase a country's wealth or prestige, are never condoned. Give me an example in the last 15 years of when somebody decided they wanted to take another country. Kuwait. Saddam Hussein. That was not a just cause. He saw some oil fields. It could increase his personal wealth. He decided to take it, and we rose up against him. A just cause may be to intervene on behalf of an innocent third party, which is what we did on behalf of Kuwait, to punish an evil or aggressor nation, same thing, and the third one is, or to defend one's own nation against aggression or overthrow. It is appropriate if people were to come to our borders and begin attacking us. This says that it is, a, it is appropriate for us to defend our borders, to defend our homes, to defend our wives and our children. I don't think God expects me to have peace with someone who breaks into my house and is trying to hurt my wife or my children. That's not going to happen. Okay, I'm not going to have peace with them. There are times when it's all right to defend yourself. Number two, just intention. Just causes, number one, just intention. War must be to secure the peace for all parties involved. Revenge or conquest are not legitimate motives. Number three, last resort. War must be engaged in as a last resort after diplomacy and economic sanctions have been exhausted. Nonviolent means of persuasion should be used for a reasonable... reasonable amount of time before resorting to war. And we've seen instances of that. And everybody here is going to have a different opinion on what reasonable is. Um, So we're not going to debate that, but we're just going to say reasonable amount of time. We won't get into that. Number four is formal declaration. In a just war, there must be a formal declaration. War must be initiated by a declaration by properly constituted authorities. Just wars are not private revolutions. The Hatfields and McCoys, that was not a just war. In the United States, who has the power to declare war? Congress. president can send his, the troops for 60 days before a declaration of war must, uh, must come about from Congress. So what that does, it guarantees a heated, sometimes healthy debate before we get into war, right? Before we commit ground troops. Um, Depends on which side you're on, whether you think that's a, you know, a good discussion or a bad discussion about war. Number five, limited objectives. War must be characterized by limited objectives such as peace. Complete destruction is not a proper objective. War must be waged in such a way that once peace is attainable, then all hostilities cease. Now, the first five points of a just war theory apply to a country, a nation, before they get into war. The next two points apply to a nation that is already in war. Here they are. Number six, proportionality. Proportionality. Combatants may not be subjected to greater harm that is necessary to secure victory. And this is where we get into a lot of debate nowadays. The types of weapons and amount of force used should be limited to what is needed to repel aggression and secure peace. There are, there are folks out there who believe that never under any circumstances should nuclear weapons be used. And, and I've, you know, I would probably tend to agree. What we've used nuclear weapons for is a deterrent. Mutual um, annihilation seems to keep us out of war. If, ever, if the folks that we're upset with have just as many bombs and just as big of bombs as we do, and we're going to wipe each other out, that tends to keep us away from war. Um, and, and you could debate all, again all day about what types of weapons are needed uh, in order to secure a just peace. And the last one I wholeheartedly agree with is number seven non combatant immunity. Non combatant immunity. Military forces must respect individuals and groups not participating in the conflict. Only governmental forces or agents are legitimate targets. Now, immediately though, somebody's going to say, what about terrorists? Terrorists are not government organizations. Is it legitimate to go after terrorists? I'm going to say yes. We've been attacked. Then I say that, that, you know, I'm going to trust our president. I'm not going to give him a blank check, but I'm going to allow him the freedom to do his job. And if that means that protecting us means sending our... our uh, uh, our relatives, our loved ones to war, then I'm going to support that. Again, we're not going to give him a blank check. There will be discussion about what is right and what is wrong. Now, two types of objections often come up against this idea of a just war. First, there is the moral objection. Pacifists argue that it is never right to go to war, and they cite the same verses that Sergeant York did. He was Private York at that time when he he cited the verses. First example is Jesus said, turn the other cheek. That's exactly right. Another thing that that they say is in Matthew 26, Jesus warned that those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. That's exactly right. Those are the words that came from the mouth of Jesus. However, the contexts are the key. The first one, when Jesus said... Um, to turn the other cheek. It's, there, it's in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount where He is talking to believers and He's talking about how you should uh, respond individually to an attack upon you. Jesus said we shouldn't have um, individual retaliation against other people. That has nothing to do with governing authorities. If you want to read um, the Bible's opinion on governing authorities, read Romans chapter 13, the first seven or eight verses, and you'll see that God established the governing authorities and it says If you've done nothing wrong, you don't have to fear the governing authorities. If you've done something wrong, you should well be afraid because they're going to come after you. But in this instance, he's talking about individual believers do not retaliate against other people. Uh, In the second instance, he tells Peter to put down his sword because what was happening? God's plan for Jesus Christ was to go to the cross. He's in the garden. When the people come to get him to take him to the cross, Peter jumps up with the sword and cuts off the high priest. the, The servant of the high priest cuts off his ear. And Jesus turns to him and he says, no, because what was Peter doing once again? He was acting before he thought and he was trying to stop Jesus from the very thing Jesus came to do. And so what Jesus was saying is this is not how the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be advanced. Mm. Makes me think about the Crusades In the Crusades. We tried to show those heathen by force that they should be Christians and it didn't work. It failed miserably. And that's what Jesus is saying. We will not advance the kingdom of God by the sword. But in the same instance, Jesus is the one that told them to sell a cloak and buy the sword in the first place so they could defend themselves. All right. So you've got to put the whole counsel of God together. You've got to know the context of the verses before you can figure out when is it right to fight. Um, Sergeant York decided that there was a time to fight. And I want to show you one last scene from Sergeant York. He describes to his superior officers. This scene that made him famous. He became known throughout the United States. Like I said, there's, there's books written about his life. Um, this movie, he, when he was approached about the movie, I thought this was an interesting side note. He, the only way he would agree to allow his life to be filmed was if Gary Cooper would play the lead. So if Gary Cooper had turned it down, we'd never have this film.
1: I understand it, York. Your detail came over that ridge there and captured about 30 men right down in here. Yes, yeah, sir. And then you were forced to cover by a machine gun that was uh, right up on this other ridge. Yes, sir. Right up there. Where were you? Well, I was, I was laying behind that log there. There was a machine gun and it was pretty heavy, so I worked my way across up behind that log there under the hill. Rather incredible, wasn't it, York? They're able to cross so much open ground without being hit. Well I reckon the good Lord was a protecting me, son. What you want to go over there for? Well I figured that was a good place to be because they had to rear up and show themselves in order to shoot at me and the rest of the boys' backyard. And whenever they did I could touch them all. I see. So I went up the hill, up around that way, then worked my way down the ridge to a place where they was flanked and couldn't show themselves without being hit. So they... Well, they finally give up. How many did you kill? I don't rightly know, sir. I think Captain Danford is familiar with that, sir. We counted about 20 bodies altogether up around there. What were your men doing all this time, Corporal? Well, I couldn't just answer that, sir. I was pretty busy, and I reckon they was, too. According to the statements of the others, they were guarding the prisoners and couldn't expose themselves to the fire from the ridge. All right, gentlemen. That's all, Corporal. Something that I'd like to know. Yes, sir? That night that you reported back to me at Camp Gordon, you as much as told me that you were quite prepared to die for your country, but not to kill. What made you decide to change your mind? Well, sir. Of course, if you'd rather not tell me why, it's quite all right. Well, I'm as much again killing as ever, sir. But it was this way, Colonel. When I started out, I felt just like you said when I hear them machine guns are going and all them fellers are dropping around me, I figured that them guns was killing hundreds, maybe thousands. And there weren't nothing anybody could do but to stop them guns. And that's what i done. You mean to tell me that you did it to save lives? Yes, sir. That was why. Well, York, what you've just told me is the most extraordinary thing of all.
0: let why I did it. To save lives. There are times when the only peace that you can experience in a nation is on the other side of war. And Sergeant York, true story, saw his comrades dying right and left. And decided the only way that that he could protect them was to take out the men who were killing his men. And the final report was he, he personally killed 25 of the enemy soldiers. And then he took capture personally a hundred and thirty-two enemy soldiers walked them down to the rest of the guys that were... It's an amazing story. I mean, God had to be looking out for him because one sharpshooter, I don't care how good you are, with one of the rifles back from 1919 is not going to be able to take out that many people unless the Lord is with him. But he did it to save lives. I want you to look at uh, Proverbs 21:15. It says, Good people celebrate when justice triumphs, But for the workers of evil, it's a bad day. That's one of my favorite verses. I want you to circle the word justice. Christians are not just interested in peace. We want peace, but we want it with justice. Peace at any price is not peace. That's appeasement. That means you're going to be a slave to someone else if there is peace at any price. The Bible says that God is not only a God of peace, but he's a God of justice. When is it right to fight? There's basically three things that you can say. When is it right to fight? Number one, to bring about justice, because God is a God of justice, to preserve freedom and to reduce evil in the world. Now, what should we do when our nation is at war? The number one thing that I would tell you is pray, because God says that he is in control of all situations. And we need to spend some time praying, asking God to give us the right perspective, but asking God to protect those people who go out and fight so that we can have the freedom to do what we're doing here today. I want you to watch this video. If you um, served in the military in any way, I'd like for you to stand. I'll come up here. Sergeant York got a medal. So we're going to give them a medal of a York peppermint patty. To say thank you for serving our country. Oops. Here's another one. (laughs) Here's a medal that hasn't fallen off. Oh, no, what happened to I don't
1: know
0: if that was well. Try that one. Oh, no, they're falling <laughs> everywhere. The best laid plans. Would y'all hand these out? Everybody gets a York peppermint patty. You may be seated for just a second. Don't ever let someone tell you that freedom is free. My dad is 83 years old, and he served in World War II. And I've learned more and more stories. I need to get it on video, because I'll forget through the years the things that he's told me. He fought at Guadalcanal, was supposed to be there when, um, when there weren't any more hostilities. And he's told me stories about there were still pockets of Japanese resistance. There were still times that um, air raids would happen, and he'd have to run out to the foxhole. Some of the stories are funny, like when there was a gila monster in the leg of his pants that he tried to put on running into the foxhole and he had to jump back out of the foxhole to get the the, the lizard the rather large lizard out of his pants that, I would like to have seen that myself But um, Dad told me about friends of his that, that didn't make it back from Guadalcanal where it was supposed to be peaceful. He was in the Seabees, the construction battalion and um, we went to a Cb reunion out in California one time and had the The commander of the Marines come to talk to this group of Seabees. And he said, you know, Marines don't have much use for anybody but Marines. He said, but I'll take a Seabee any day because the Seabees very often were the first ones on the beach before the Marines so they could prepare the way for the Marines to land. And, you know, I'd never realized what my dad had gone through in World War II to fight for the freedom of this country. And I think today we need to remember that freedom is not free. Um, And I think we need to continue to pray for our troops are in battle. When we went on vacation recently, saw a whole group of army um, folks that were home for their two week furlough sat next to one guy that that had been um, that he's stationed in Baghdad. He's back in Baghdad now. When I first asked him about what was going on, man, there was just a hardness about him. Uh, This guy's a scout. So he goes out and he finds out all this. Yeah, this is a bad job. And he said, he said, I just see death every day. I said, have you seen some of your your buddies die? He goes, yeah, I've seen them die. I've seen Iraqi civilians die. He said, I've seen I've seen notes on the bodies of Iraqi civilians from from other Iraqis who say this is what happens to those people who are sympathetic to the United States. He, uh we, we had a two-hour layover, layover, so he started talking with us and uh, just got to, to be friends with this young guy. And I said, well, if nothing else, we're going to pray for you. So what can we do? He said, there's nothing you can do. And I said, yeah, we can. We can pray. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. You can do no more than pray until you've prayed. I don't care what the situation is. We've got to spend some time praying for... Um, our folks and for our country. So let's do that before we're dismissed today. And I hope you'll think about these things as you celebrate our nation's birthday. Father, for my friend Mark, who is in Baghdad and harm's way today. I ask your peace and your protection over him. God, for his buddies that have been wounded, for his buddies um, that are. That today may be their last day to walk on this earth. I pray that somehow they would come to know you before tragedy strikes. And God, may we never forget the sacrifices people made so that we could be free. As we celebrate July 4th, Independence Day, God, bring to mind those folks that we know that are serving in the country. Bring to mind those folks that we know who have already served our country. Let us go out of our way to say thank you. God, we praise you for Jesus Christ who gave us the freedom from sin. And it cost him everything he had. So let us remember that freedom comes from the shedding of blood. And without your shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Let us have a glorious time and keep us safe as we celebrate. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.